And once again, it's time for The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, the Word of God, unfiltered. It's not watered down. It's not manipulated. It's what the Lord said, what He meant, and that's what we talk about. We dig deeper into Scripture. We find the church the Lord intended. That has always been our desire because we are the church The building you sit in is a place of fellowship. The people you sit with, they're the church. So we, I hope that that's why you're here, that you're here for the fire, the fire of the upper room. The church age is still in effect. Don't listen to anyone who tells you otherwise. If you have any questions, any needs, go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button. Or write us directly at the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. You want to support what we do, and we appreciate all of you that do support us. If you go to firefalltalkradio.com, at the bottom of the page, there are ways to do that. Just pray and do as the Lord leads. And also, I want you to pray about something else. I'm going to um, seek direction from the Spirit to start reaching out to various groups and foundations and trusts to not only support what we do here on the porch, but uh, Firefall Media Group, Firefall Productions, the documentary, and other things that we would like to do. So please pray in agreement with us that the doors are opened and God honors that effort. Now, I know we don't do praise reports and prayer prayer requests, It's easy for you to say, Richard. Yes, it was. Thank you. Um, Praise reports and prayer requests. But Kim and Fort Mitchell sent me one, and I just, you know what? I just felt like we need to share it. She says, I celebrated six years of continuous sobriety last week. Praise God. I think that's a praise report. And if anybody out there struggling or knows somebody who's struggling— The Lord can do it. He says, what a ride. I can't believe he chose me and saved me. Trust my Father in heaven and praise him for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. She also asked for prayer for Junior in Oklahoma, who's in the middle of some legal issues and uh, some custody issues regarding his grandchild. So she's praying for the Lord to give him strength, endurance, patience, and compassion. And I'm going to add favor in the process to protect the grandchild and his family as well. She's asking for prayer over her family, salvation of her mother, um, protect her children, and praying for the porch community families. So, Father, you knew this. You knew this was going to happen. You knew I was going to do it. You knew everything that happened today. Nothing surprises you. You are so awesome, so awesome. We love you. We cry out, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. And sometimes even now, we push the boundaries. Thank you for sending Yeshua to die for us, to do everything he did for us. So, Lord, we say thank you. And I know, considering what you endured, that's That seems so inadequate. 
but our love for you, our worship, our adoration adds to those things. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about him and what you did tonight so that we can behave like a believer. So, Holy Spirit, have your way with us tonight. With every person listening, begin to speak to them. Begin to reveal things to them. Begin to heal. Begin to pull things out that have been hidden. I pray for the same Spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead, you, the Rakh HaKadosh, to rise up in flame and power and intensity inside of us so that we can do what we need to do in this time to glorify the Lord, to glorify our Father, to further the kingdom of God, destroy the work of the enemy, set the captives free, go rescue those in bondage that have been taken by the enemy. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for loving us. Bless this technology. Bless and save our family members that are not saved. Protect America. Protect Jerusalem. And Holy Spirit, it's yours. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're in our fifth week of talking about behaving like a believer, examining Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Your Bible should be open tangible physical Bibles if you have them. If you don't, open your apps or digital um, Bibles. If you need one and you really can't afford one, please let us know. But behaving like a believer isn't just about to the world. Sometimes in our own lives, we struggle to behave like we believe. Some of you going through some hardships and some struggles. We're dealing with some stuff right now that force you to dig down, to pray, to find your faith in him. Before we came on the air, I actually posted something on it about Facebook. Um, not been a, It's not been an incredibly edifying day, but... Um, it started out really good. Didn't have any clue what I was teaching on tonight. The Lord woke me up at 4 a.m., scriptures and thoughts, and sat down at my computer, and by 5.30, I had the majority of this Bible study. And then other things went on. But before I got on the air, I just needed an infusion of praise. So if you know, uh, we've had Dennis Jernigan on the show, and uh, Dennis and I met many years ago, and he's been around for a while, and he's got an album called Break My Heart, Oh God. And it's my go-to 
for inspiration. I have another one called Lion of Judah by Dave Bell. But Dennis, when I really need an infusion of the Spirit, before I, I got on the air, I always have great is the Lord Almighty ready to go so I can praise and I can sing and I can get into the mindset that I am a believer in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that everything flows from a relationship with him. It's all about him. And the foundation of this relationship is love. Love for him, love from him, and having his love for others. Love and compassion, the key ingredients to the life of a believer. Without it, we're going to fail. We can't love, we can't serve him. It's all a matter of the heart. So Romans 12, starting in verse 9, amplified version. Let your love be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is evil. Loathe all ungodliness. Turn in horror from wickedness, but hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. Family. <laughs> Giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. Rejoice and exalt in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people. Sharing in the necessities of the saints, pursue the practice of hospitality. So in many ways, I've been living out a lot of these, and I think some of you have been too. We learn better through experience. There's so many different ways to learn by seeing, by hearing, Experience is really the icing on the cake. So we're going to focus on verse 11. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. The Dictionary of Bible Themes says zeal is a single-minded desire characterized by enthusiasm and devotion. In Scripture, it is often directed towards God but God is also credited with zeal for his people and for the honor of his name. Misdirected or inappropriate zeal can denigrate into fanaticism. Paul deals with this with the Galatians and the church in Galatia. He mentions in Galatians 4 as he's dealing with what's going on regarding the Messianic teachers bringing in some false teaching after Paul leaves. He says in Galatians 4.18, It is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. It is good to be zealous by reason of purity of heart and life. So he acknowledged that zeal a single-minded desire characterized by enthusiasm and devotion can be good. He passionately preached the gospel. But passion 
or zeal doesn't limit itself and it needs a dependable goal or object and therein lies the problem in Galatia. Paul was worried that the church there was becoming zealous over the lie fed to them by false teachers to try to live by the law that human moral and ethical efforts can satisfy God's perfect standard. He says in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You know he was present when they stoned Stephen. He held the clothes of the people that stoned him to death. In Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11, he talks about that. He says, If anyone may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee taught by Gamaliel, by the way, concerning, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law. He was blameless according to him, but the things that were gained to me then, he says, I have counted loss for Messiah. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Messiah and be found in him, not having my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which comes from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He was passionate, no doubt about it. He had a capacity and a desire for a zealous commitment, which is, by the way, it's a basic human trait. We can be passionate about something or someone. We see it in our youth. They, they have that trait very clearly. They can invest their energy in a cause, which is why Satan targets them. If he can get them on his side, they'll get passionate about that cause. But that zeal can be misdirected. Their excitement or passion for an idea or a leader can be misdirected as believers in Messiah. Our zeal must be for the ideas and actions which he demonstrated zeal for. We have to make sure that our inspiration centers on Messiah and honors him before we put ourselves into it, before we put ourselves behind it found this quote by John Calvin, which I found really timely and interesting. If ministers wish to do any good, let them labor to form Christ, as he says, not to form themselves in their hearers. In today's church, we have too many people building their own kingdoms and 
drawing attention to themselves before they point to the cross. No, no, no. He is the focus of our zeal. He is the focus of our attention and our intention. Last week I read to you from John 14. But Yeshua said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. So if you love him, you'll do what he says. And when you do that, the Lord wants fellowship with you. He wants intimacy with you. And the Father wants that, and they will abide with you, take permanent residence. He says, he who does not love me, does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. But then he tacks on to it this statement. These things I've spoken with to you while I'm present with you, but the Helper, the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, it's all about the Spirit. Everything. He talks in John 15 that the world would have no sin. They would have no excuse if he had not come and told them the truth. And then he made it clear, if you hate him, you hate the Father. But then he says, when the Helper comes, again, the Paracletos, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. See, last week we talked about sin. I didn't really expect a whole lot of thank yous or pats on the back because it's an uncomfortable topic. Nobody wants to hear it. They don't want to talk about it. But I I talked to you about it through the aspect of love. And the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, brings the conviction of sin. The law did not do that. Let me say this again. And I don't think that there's anybody out there that is from the Hebrew Roots movement or the Messianic movement of going back to the law and the fulfillment of the law and doing all those things just like the church in Galatia. But let me make it clear. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit that brought conviction of sin. The law never did that. That's why Yeshua came. That's why he had to die. It says in John 16, starting verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Uh, Lord, as if you could tell anything else. But I tell you the truth, he said. It's to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, here we go, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. 
of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Whatever he hears, how is that? He's connected to the Lord in the throne room who is sitting with the Father. They are never disconnected. They're always unified, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, says the Lord, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take up mine and declare it to you. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. That word convict is a legal term. See, the world had its trial of Yeshua. They brought in false witnesses and false evidence against him for his case. Well, guess what? Now the world will stand trial before the Spirit, and their guilt will be proven before it has to stand before him. The Spirit unveils to the world the real nature of its sin, the truth about righteousness which is found only in God through his only begotten Son and the coming judgment, which, by the way, has already begun on the world when light began to penetrate the darkness. Said it right there. Judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, has already been judged. The ruler of this world is judged. Again, John twelve thirty one. the judgment of this world, the ruler of this world will be cast out. The world thought it was judging the Lord, thought it was judging Yeshua. But in actuality, the opposite occurred. When Satan inspired the crucifixion, he sealed his own fate. That's what we're walking out. That's why the enemy hates us. That's why the enemy doesn't want anybody to teach about Romans, which talks about sin, which talks about the spirit behind sin. No, they don't want that. Don't don't convict me of sin. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Don't put anything on social media that contradicts what the world says. But the obedience I'm talking to you about is a byproduct of a relationship with the Lord. And knowing how difficult it is for us to live up to our side of things, he assists us to live this life by sending the Holy Spirit to walk it with us. He's done it all. He's paid the price on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He rose to sit at the right hand of the Father. He sends back the Holy Spirit to help us to live out the life that he's ordained for us to walk with us and teach us and and encourage us. That's why when we walk with the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, He empowers us to avoid sin, to turn away, to avert, as we talked about last week, avoid, to keep from happening, to prevent. Verse 14. 
What are the buttons in your life that Satan likes to push to get you to act out, to get you to do what you know you shouldn't do? We all have them. Thankfully, he's restricted in what he can do to us, just like he was restricted with Job. If he wasn't, we wouldn't stand a chance. But we have to walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit. We have to be responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. If we do that, we certain will we won't. We certainly will not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh, which is our human nature without God. By the way, I'm reading to you from Galatians five, sixteen through eighteen. And then he explains what the desires of the flesh are that are opposed to the Holy Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh, our godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to each other. They hate each other. They're continually in conflict with each other. So that you're not free but prevented from doing what you desire. But if, listen to me, please, if you are guided by and led by the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Let me explain that. I don't want you to misinterpret that. What I am saying is the guiding presence of the Holy Spirit keeps you from the subjection of the law. Do and don't becomes will and won't because I can choose not to do the things that actify, activate, excuse me, I'm getting a little bit excited here. I can feel the presence of the Spirit. My mind is racing. All these different light bulbs are going off when I'm talking to you. I really want to write them down, but I will probably forget them. But when you walk in the Spirit, You don't do the things that make you subject to the judgment of the law. The law is still there. It's still there for the unsaved world, the unredeemed world. That tells them what's right and wrong. That tells them what sin is. But to us, believers in Yeshua, we live a law-free faith. We live a life that will not lead to moral ruin because the Holy Spirit's guiding us in this life. He helps us. He walks with us. And he changes our hearts to follow the will of God and not to choose to sin. When you get born again and you get filled with the Spirit, meaning the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit to replace the fruit of the flesh. You are living a life that, for lack of a better description, is in another reality. Yes, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. You're of a different world. You're walking a different walk than what the world walks. That's why it doesn't like you. That's why you make people uncomfortable. Your heart has changed. 
So what does the enemy do? What does the world do? What do unsaved, well-meaning people do? They try to change you. Oh, you're too religious. You need to get back to the way you were. Find a middle ground. My, my mother said that to me. I came back from Tallahassee, born again, delivered, began to walk this out, was a completely different person. Oh, you're too fanatical. You need to find a middle of the road. And I said, no. If I'm in the middle of the road, I'm going to get run over. I have to pick a side, and I have picked the right side. But we have a different walk. At least we should. People should look at us and see there's something different about them. Jeremiah 31.33 says this, But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. What he was talking about was the new covenant, the covenant of grace through Messiah. And the intention was always to have a people who lived by loving obedience, not by external law, but an internal Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's like when you reformat a hard drive. Through our hearts, he was going to put his law in our mind, in our hearts, but through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through our salvation experience, our flesh would no longer be in control. He would be our God. He would be our Abba Father and would be his children his people. But that fallen sinful nature of the flesh doesn't allow for that. That's why you had to be born again. That's why you had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to make it work. If the law was good enough, then the Pharisees would have been good enough. If the law was good enough, Yeshua would not have had to die. He would not have had to shed blood. And if anybody tells you that he didn't have to die, the cross was unneeded, move away from those people. This is what Paul was getting across to the church. Jeremiah 31.33 is quoted by the speaker of Paul, which the teacher of, of Hebrews, which many believe to be Paul with Luke writing, which is what I believe. In Hebrews 8.10. But the enduring question that we as believers are always faced with, and I hear it a lot, especially when I move into the Messianic community. Do Christians need to keep the Old Testament law to become a mature believer in Messiah? Does following the law provide sanctification? Many believe that it does. Paul refutes that very heartily. The law provided guidelines on how to live. It's through that that we know what sin is. But it's by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit we can walk that walk. We need his help to live his best life for us. Stop being distracted 
by the teachers. Stop being distracted by the life coaches that take scripture out of context. Forget what it really means and twist it into what they want to give you as a uh, motivation. So the real problem is not a lack of understanding right and wrong. We have a conscience from God that tells us when we're doing wrong. And we have God's law, which makes that even clearer. But that's not what keeps us righteous before the Lord. Romans 7, starting verse 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, it killed me. How anyone can believe that the law is something we should still try to live by is not reading. I mean, I'm shocked that anybody would believe that. But they're not listening to Paul. They're not listening to the Lord. They're not listening to Peter or John or James. Because the problem is, by nature, our human hearts are hard and sinful. Let me say that again. By nature, our hearts are hard and sinful. And without His Word, without the law, we don't know what's right or wrong, but without the Spirit, we can't do what's right. We can't apply God's word in any with any consistency without faith in him and without his love. See, what Paul was dealing with, as he goes to Galatia, he teaches the church. He, he says a lot of the things I'm saying now. Once he leaves, Messianic teachers come in thinking, well, if, uh, if uh, we don't stop this, they're going to go back to living lives of sin. They need the law to be righteous and be approved before God. And what they were playing on was our human fear of failure. Every person I've met in the Messianic community that, that refuses to understand grace and runs back to the law are people that are afraid of failing. There are people are people that know who they are, more than likely have not been transformed, and they're afraid of the choices they'll make. And then you have bad leaders with with a controlling nature. They'll come in and they'll push those believers back into bondage 
and fear by legalism. I've seen it happen. The church in Galatia knew better. It's basically how Paul starts out his letter to them. You know better. You know from personal experience the Holy Spirit is there to guide you. You've seen the manifest power of the Lord in your lives, making you a new creation and Messiah. But the minute he leaves, these teachers come in and through their own fear, inflict fear upon the people and tell them they need to live by the law. If you live by the law, you'll be judged by the law. You fail in one aspect of the law, you fail in all of it. So when you stand before him, if you want to be judged by the law, you're not spending eternity in paradise with him. But these messianic teachers brought the spirit of the Pharisees in with them. And I would dare to say they were obviously not spirit-filled and may not have even been born again. I don't know. But I can tell you this much. They were not living by the Spirit. They were not living by grace. They were not living by the fruit of the Spirit. They were living in fear. Galatians 3.5 Therefore he, capital H, who supplies the Spirit, capital S, to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, we know the answer to that. The hearing of faith. It's through the Spirit, he says in Galatians 5, 5, that we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness by faith. Galatians is all about Paul refuting these false teachings. So what does he do? He inspires them to walk in the Spirit, knowing full well that if he can get the church to walk in the Spirit, these false teachings will have no effect The lure of sin and the lure of this world will have no effect. And essentially the church will be untouchable and unstoppable. Boy, do we really need that right now. Our righteousness is by faith. He, Yeshua, the Lord, Adonai, makes us righteous by faith through the working of the Spirit. And those who rely on the Spirit and follow His leadings will not sin. Well, how can you say that, Richard? Because God's Spirit will never lead people to sin. God's Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will never lead you into false teachings. God's Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will never lead you to a place that refutes or defies His Word or compromises your relationship with Him. But we still have to understand that without the law, we wouldn't even know what sin is, according to God. But the law cannot perfect us. He knew that. That's why Messiah was always coming. Salvation, sanctification, it was always on its way. The law was just a guideline to keep things together until Messiah could come. And when the Holy Spirit guides you and controls you, he changes your heart. When he changes our heart, we begin to produce fruit. 
we begin to do the things that pleases God. Romans 8, starting verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, it's hatred against God, because it's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh can't please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, Paul says, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Messiah, he is not his. doesn't belong to him. And if Messiah is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he raised Messiah from the dead, he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. He goes on to say, we're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the actions and the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as led led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God and the daughters of God and the family of God. If you have eyes to see, you can look at what's going on in the world right now and spot people who are not living by the Spirit but by the flesh. Because His his Spirit will guide you to live in the Spirit, to live according to the Lord, and be like the Lord. And in doing so, you wind up fulfilling the law in its truest sense and intention. Paul makes that clear in Galatians 3, verse 24 and 25. The law was our tutor to bring us to Messiah, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. And he was speaking to a people that understood the concept of tutors and guardians. In the Greco-Roman culture, a guardian was a faithful slave responsible for training and protecting the heir until he came of age. In the Greco-Roman culture, a freeborn child who came of age was no longer under the discipline or influence of a guardian anymore and was free to rule themselves. So too are we of age through faith in Messiah. We're free from the guardianship of the law. We get to serve Messiah directly by the leading of his word, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. I I don't know about you, but there's such a simplicity in that that excites me and baffles me at the same time that in many ways I never saw it before. I never understood the whole Greco-Roman thing about guardians and tutors. That's a new thing even for me today. But we saw it. It was in Scripture all the time. Galatians 3, Paul talks about Abraham. Believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed. Therefore, now 
only those who are of faith of sons of Abraham. And Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those of us who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. But the difference is, we have Yeshua as the object of that faith. We are appropriating, we are being accounted for through him. All things come through him. Everything is about him. The universe held together by him. So we have faith in the one who filled, fulfilled the law, fulfilled the law for us. I'm sorry. Ooh, boy. Holy Spirit's all over the place right now. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Well, I said, have your way, Holy Spirit, and you will. Somebody out there is really struggling with this, not because you want to live by the law, because you're afraid of yourself. You're afraid of your own decisions. You don't believe in yourself. You've tried to do this before, and therein is the problem. You tried to do this under your own power. You tried to do this under your own self-control or your own choices. And you fail, and you fall down, and you get back up, and you're just tired and weary of failing and falling down. Well, in the name of Yeshua, be set free from that religious spirit. Be set free from whatever legalism was put upon you. Be set free from whatever fear of failure that has a hold of you. And trust in the one who died for you. Trust in the spirit that resides in you that is there to do it with you and listen to him. Be willing to be obedient to him and watch your life change. Focus on a trusting, loving God. Rely on the Holy Spirit and fulfilling his word to love others. Can you do that? Can you try to do that? See, the Holy Spirit gives us the will and the power to do the things that please God. But the problem is we have to understand what doesn't please God, and that's the fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5, starting verse 19. But the practices, the doings of the flesh are clear and obvious. They are immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, divisions, what he calls the party spirit, factions, sex with their own particular peculiar opinions which have heresy in them, which is denominationalism if you ask me, envy, drunkenness, carousing and the like. He says, I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, why not, Paul? Paul would say because they're not in the kingdom of God. They're in the world. Without the Holy Spirit in us, through salvation, these are the things the flesh will cause us to do. 
Again, self-control is good. I had it. But the problem is, eventually, it's no match for the nature of our flesh and the influence of the world and the devil. Ah, but the fruit of the Spirit, he says in verse 22 of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work which his presence within us accomplishes, is love. There it is again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, which is benevolence, which ties into the last part of that section of Romans 12, gentleness. Uh, benevolence, faithfulness, gentleness, which is meekness and humility, self-control, which is an aspect of the Spirit, which is self-restraint. Against such things, there is no law that can bring a charge. Are we getting it yet? Then when the Holy Spirit is in control, we produce fruit indicating He's inside of us meaning we are no longer subject to the law, which he picks up in verse 24. And those who belong to Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, have crucified the flesh, the godly, the godless human nature with its passions and appetites and desires. If we live by the Holy Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If by the Holy Spirit we have our life in God, let us go forward, walking in line with our conduct controlled by the Spirit. See, this is that obedience thing. This is that submission thing. You want to do things your way, go right ahead. But the outcome is yours. You own it. You want to do things His way, the outcome is His. And you'll be living His way. The Nelson Study Bible, New King James Version, says, Christians are spiritually crucified with Christ. They no longer have to follow the rules or desires of the world. However, it remains difficult for Christians to apply the spiritual reality to the passions, the affections, and the desires or the lust of the flesh. Those who have mastered These sinful desires are those who have kept their focus on God. Obedience is about relationship. See, when he woke me up this morning and began to speak to me, it wasn't like he said, hey, Richard, wake up. I want to give you your Bible study. Because yesterday when I went to bed, I had no clue what he wanted to talk about tonight. Normally, he starts talking to me about it on Monday. Not a word, not a thing. But then he begins to speak to me about the Spirit. He begins to speak to me about the law. He begins to speak to me about the section in Romans we've been focused on and zeal and the burning zeal of the Holy Spirit and having that presence in us. And it began to click and it began to come together. And I came in here and I began to put it down on paper and, and he f- fleshed it out. I began to see it. Right now in the world, everywhere you go on social media, especially Instagram with the videos and the images, and nonstop nakedness, nonstop sexuality, nonstop perversion. Then you go on Twitter and you see something from uh, one of the uh, news 
papers, USA Today, talking about a group on TikTok trying to explain what's the lifestyle of swinging is all about and taking the to demystify it. Well, why do I need you to demystify for me a sinful, aberrant lifestyle? Why? Because who's behind those things? Who's behind the legacy media? The people that want you to live according to the flesh, the people that want you to sin. Now, they may not know it in their head, but the spirits behind them do. But this is not our world. And when he comes back, he'll make it his, and we'll have the completion of the transformation both in spirit and in the natural. But right now, the God of this world, that's not who we serve. We're not in agreement with him. We're not in agreement with his kingdom. But we have been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Yeshua, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against themselves, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. It's easy to become weary. But we need to focus on him. We need to get back to where this began, to never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor, to be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. From day one, I, I don't know why, maybe because of My background in the supernatural, having come out of the occult, the fact that I was blessed with a uh, a teacher who would disciple me and walk with me, who understood that and understood me, Pastor Shelley. I've always had a zeal. Sometimes that zeal has gotten me in trouble. Sometimes that zeal has hurt instead of helped. But I've always had a burning zeal for God. I've always burned with the fire of the Holy Spirit. It took me maturity to understand how to control the flame so I didn't scorch people. But I've always had a desire to serve the Lord. I know when when I've taught you the armor of God, I add to it the cloak of zeal. I have a zeal for my father's house. I have a zeal for his children. I have a zeal to destroy the work of the enemy, to set the captives free. I have a zeal to go get the lambs that have wandered away before they can be destroyed. I have a zeal to glorify him. I burn with a zeal for him. And that's what I want for you. That excitement, that freedom that ability to live the life that he desires for you. Father, oh, hallelujah. I'm speaking to your children, my brothers and sisters, and I'm praying that you're stirring something up inside of them right now. I'm praying that anything that's in you, that's in them, that's not of you, that interferes with the Holy Spirit, must get out of the way, must leave, must go find some other place to inhabit like the dry uninhabited places of the earth must leave them and be gone so that you can fill them completely. 
so they can burn and be aglow with you. I pray that you would help them walk this walk, to live this life so that they can help others, they can guide others, they can love others. Right now, any religious spirit, any false teaching, anything from the law or from the kingdom of darkness or from that time and that spirit, you have no place in us. You have no place in our lives. You have no place in our fellowships. You have no place in our walk. And I just pray right now the glory of God shine down upon you, expose you, and force you to flee. You came in one way. You can run seven. You can run eight, nine, ten, or twelve. I don't care. You just need to run because we're going to run this race. We're going to walk. We're going to rise up. We're going to do what needs to be done in this final hour to get people saved, healed, and delivered. To show people the love that would make them desire to know Yeshua. We're never going to lag in zeal again. We're going to be, in earnest, we're going to be earnest in every endeavor for the King. And we are going to glow and we are going to burn with the Spirit as we serve the Lord. I pray that you'll agree with me and say, Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. I appreciate you being here tonight. I hope you've been blessed. We'll see you next time here on the porch. Okay.